1: Have you wandered along On life's pathway Is your life without God A life of tears Have you searched for life's great Hidden meaning Or is your life Filled with long and wasted years Wasted years Wasted years Oh how full of And you walk on in darkness and fear Turn around Turn around God is called, he's calling you from a life of wasted years. Search for wisdom and know, understand. is cold
2: Blessings or curses, blessings or curses. Oh Lord, today would you open before us an understanding of how we are a walk. Would you open before us an understanding of, of how your way is, how you function, how you operate. That Lord, we could, as Moses said, please you if you would teach us your ways. Oh Lord, we've seen your glory. Even as Moses saw your glory, Lord, we've seen the cross. Now, Lord, we need to know your ways. Would you move today and speak what you've chosen, Lord Jesus? Would you speak, Lord, through your Holy Spirit this day in this house? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. As the children of Israel came out of that wilderness, They began to see the wonderful works of God's hands. They saw the Red Sea open. They saw it close and drown the Egyptians. They saw bread falling from heaven, the food of angels. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw the wonders of God's hand. When they had no water, they saw water rushing out of a rock. When was the last time you saw water rushing out of a rock? They saw the miracles of God breaking out on every side. They saw visibly the fire of God all through the night. They saw the cloud of God's presence. They saw it with their eyes. All through the day, as God brought air conditioning to their heat, they experienced the glory of God day after day. There were none sick among them the law said that a sick person was not allowed to go into the worship of the Lord God of heaven. Now that sounds very harsh until you also read that he healed every one of them and would not allow the sicknesses of the Egyptians to come upon them. In other words, here's a people healed by God, restored a whole congregation, over a million people with no sickness, no flu bugs no colds, no leprosy, no cancer. They were a healed people. And then as they're coming into the promised land, they're told that there are blessings and there are curses. And everything is going to depend on whether or not they obey God's command if they break god's command the curses will come if they walk in obedience to god's command the blessings will come and we see time after time in the history of these people that they would rebel against god the curses would begin to come on them the pain would become so great that they would turn back to god they would cry aloud to him they would repent they would restore all of the laws and the blessings of God would break out again on their lives. And that generation would die, their children would come, they'd take for granted the blessings of God, and the curses would come on them again. So all through the Old Testament, we have the blessing of God, and then we have the curses of God. And they're horrible, and they're wonderful. Let's review these blessings and these curses for a moment. Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, we have the blessings and we have the curses. Some of you have experienced the curses on your life. Some of you have experienced the curses on your life. And some of you have just said, well, through positive thinking, I'm going to get through this. And so God had to increase the curse so that you finally had to say, I'm going to perish if God doesn't deliver me. And of course, his word to you then is repent. Repent and walk the way of the cross. If you don't, the curses increase. Let's review them. Chapter 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. Can we put that another way? Your kids are going to get God's blessing and your grandkids are going to get God's blessing. And if you don't, the curse will come. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but will flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns, on everything you put your hand to. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land he is giving you. And then, of course, the most famous part of this blessing is found in verse 13. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be on the top and never on the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. So we have this wonderful description of the blessing that God will pour out on the children of Israel if they'll simply obey him. And then come the curses. By the way, the curses take up a lot more room than the blessings. Ever notice that? You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Verse 17, your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flock. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, confusion is one of the curses Of God for disobedience, rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you're destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking Him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until He has destroyed you from the land you're entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases like tuberculosis, with fever, inflammation. Scorching heat, drought, blight, mildew. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. Look at verse 27. The Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt, with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. Again, confusion of mind comes up. At midday, you will grope about like a blind man in the dark. You'll be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you'll be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. Look at verse 35. The Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils that cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. Well, this goes on and on and on in the description of the curses. Horrible. Curses that you don't even want to read because they did not obey the Lord their God. Well, I've I've read these curses and I've read these blessings time after time after time. And I've progressed in my understanding of these. There was a time when I believed that if I obeyed the Lord God of heaven, all of these blessings would come upon me. That if I didn't obey the Lord God of heaven, all of these curses would come upon me. But I've had to rethink this in the light of Scripture. Have any of you been offering blood sacrifices recently? This morning, did you offer a blood sacrifice for your sins? Have you been seeped in blood? No. So the blessings cannot be yours, because these blessings are old covenant blessings. These blessings are for obedience to the Mosaic law. The curses, however come against every person who does not keep the law. So the curses apply, but the blessings don't. Now that's a very difficult position to be in, isn't it? Where the blessings don't count here, but the curses count. In other words, for every person who does not keep the law, the Mosaic law, these curses come upon you. If you keep the Mosaic law, the blessings come upon you. But none of us here keep the Mosaic law, but we certainly break it. So all of the curses apply if we break the law of God and no blessings. Wait a minute, I don't like that position. Well, good. That position is death and destruction, total death and destruction. That's why Jesus had to come. The curse of the law is upon every person who breaks it. And we've all broken it. Is there one righteous among us? Well, let's go to the New Testament. And I want to share with you what Paul said in the book of Galatians, the third chapter. We're going to walk through several scriptures. Stay with me. Galatians, the third chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of of the law. In other words, everyone who does not keep the Mosaic law is under a curse and all of the penalties described in Deuteronomy 28 fall upon that person. Now, some may have a longer period of grace than others, but in the end, the full judgment of God comes down upon their life. Some seem to have heaven here on earth, but in the end, it will be total destruction they're under a curse. There's no spiritual life in them. There's no breathing of the living God in their heart. They're lusting after the world and the things of the world, and the curse of God is upon them. It says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. Why? Because we're all lawbreakers. We can't be justified before God by keeping the law because we've broken the law. The law calls us guilty. So where are the blessings? Where is God's mercy? Cursed is everyone who walks in this disobedience. Clearly, it says in Galatians 3, verse 11, clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous will live by faith. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. In other words, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took the curse of the law upon himself. So every curse has been borne by Jesus Christ. So where are your blessings? And what are the blessings we should look for? We can't go back to Deuteronomy 28 and say, okay, these are the blessings I want because I'm not keeping the law. I'm not under the law because I've died. In Jesus Christ, I died. Romans, the sixth chapter, I died. There's only one way to escape the law according to Paul, and that is by death. He uses the law of marriage as an example. And he says, if you're married to someone, how does that person find release in that marriage only if one of the marriage partners dies and then you're released and you're free to marry another. He uses that as an example to say, if you're under the curse of the law and every man is under the curse of the law, every woman is under the curse of the law until they've died. When they are dead, they are delivered from the curse. Where are the blessings? The blessings of the new covenant are different than the blessings of the old covenant. The curses are the same. The blessings are different. You have to know what are the blessings that have been given to you by Jesus Christ. Let's be clear about this. If I were a multimillionaire, I am in the bank of heaven, but not here in the flesh. If I were a multimillionaire here in the flesh, and I grew old and was ready to die, I would have made out, of course, something called a will, right? And there would be a reading of the will, and all of my assets would be distributed according to that will. Am I right? What was Jesus Christ's will when he died on Calvary's tree? What was his will, and what benefit did he leave for you? What's due you? Eternal life? Know the Father? Yes, it's true came to save us from our sins, not in our sins. Let's look in the scripture now for a listing of these benefits. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, the first chapter, lists one by one the will of Jesus Christ. These are the benefits that have been given. These are the blessings that have been given. Now, I want you to notice a significant difference. Before we go through these, let's identify it. And then as we walk through them, we'll look at that more carefully. But the benefits given primarily in the old covenant were that if I lived on a farm and I worked hard, I would produce a crop. In other words, my livestock would be blessed. In other words, in the old covenant, if I work hard, God will prosper me financially. So I participate in this. God blesses my labor, and I gain financial resources. Almost all of the blessings that are listed in the old covenant have to do with things, stuff. You're going to notice now as we come to a description of the new covenant blessings, the It will not be about stuff, and it will not be about what I have to do to earn it. Significant difference. So listen now as I read the will regarding Jesus Christ for you. Chapter 1, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, or I want to put it, to the saints in Woodbridge at the National Prayer Chapel, the faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you understand what that just said? You got everything. Everything was left to you. You're sitting in the attorney's office and they're going to begin to read the will, and you're on pins and needles. Did uncle leave me anything? And you hear the attorney turn to you and say to you, by the way, you need to know your uncle left you everything. You mean he left me the house? He left me his cars? He, he left me his businesses? You mean these businesses are mine? He left me everything. This is what the word is saying. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And some of you immediately want to say, well, what good is a spiritual blessing if I don't have any physical blessing? Well, let's be clear about something. When Jesus appeared suddenly to the disciples, where did he appear from? From the spirit realm. We're accustomed to thinking of the physical realm as being more real than the spiritual realm. But Jesus lives in the spirit realm, and to him, the spirit realm is more real than the physical realm. Why is that so? Because the spiritual realm is not ever going to pass away. It's where we're going to live for eternity. We're going to have new bodies that are non-destructible or indestructible. We're going to live in the spirit realm, not in the physical realm. We'll be able to come into the physical realm but we will live in the spirit realm. And our bodies will be spirit bodies. When we're changed in the twinkling of an eye, what do we change from? From a physical body into a spiritual body. The spiritual body is more real than the physical body. We're going to be like Jesus. He's a human being. He is God, but he's also a man today. But he's in a body like you and I are going to have a spirit body. And so now we're being told That over there, on the spirit side, every gift has been given to us. Of course, you have to begin making decisions. Do I want to believe and live in the physical realm, or do I want to live in the spirit realm? Over on the spirit side, everything's already provided for you. But now watch. Verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, before the earth was created, before there was sin, you and I were ordained by God to be holy and blameless, to be righteous. That is our rightful state before God. But we were tricked by Satan, and we followed after his darkness, and we became unclean. We became bent toward darkness, so that when darkness comes, there's something attractive about it. When the dancing images come before our eyes, our heart leaps toward the darkness, a natural bending toward the darkness. That was not our natural state. Our natural state was holy and blameless, pure before God. That's how we were ordained to be, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons we had to be we had to be bought back and so he's saying that god made provision to adopt us back to reclaim us as his sons through jesus christ in accordance with his pleasure and will his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one he loves In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In other words, God is not a tightwad. Just because we don't understand the spiritual gifts that have been given to us does not mean that God has been stingy with us. God has not been stingy. It's our inability to understand what he has given to us. I mean, if you take a million dollars and you give it to a two-year-old child, will that two-year-old child understand what was just given to it? No, it'll take the money out and tear it up and play with it. Let it blow away in the wind. Have no concern when $100 bills begin to flap out in the wind. Somebody will come in the house, have a pack of $100 bills. Am I right? we're that same way with the gifts of grace because we don't understand or comprehend the value in the spirit realm. We treat it like a child's gift, something of no value because in our realm, it's not the coin of the realm. The coin of the realm in the physical is arrogance, and hardness of heart, scrambling to be first. Servanthood has no value in our realm. But in the realm of heaven, servanthood stands above everything else. In our realm, consumption is everything. But in the realm of heaven, giving is everything. So the values are dramatically different. And part of what God is trying to teach us are the values of the gifts that he's given to us so that we don't casually cast them aside. Note several other gifts. Verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will. God doesn't owe it to anybody to make his will known to them. But he's given us the gift of making known to us his will. So we understand what's been given to us. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's his purpose. To bring everything together under the headship of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, in him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. In other words, right now, you have been given a gift, a deposit. And that deposit that you've been given is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That presence of the Holy Spirit that speaks to your heart and restrains you from your sin. That gift of the Holy Spirit that calls after you and says, humble your heart. That spirit that comes into you and calls you to the values of heaven that says, Come and take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. That's the deposit that's been given to you. Now, you can cast this deposit off and say, It's of no value to me. How do I take the deposit of the Holy Spirit to the bank? Of what value is it? We need to understand how this operates. We have in this wonderful chapter, this first chapter, The prayer of Paul, I want to read it for you. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. In other words, he's saying, I have to keep praying for you that you'll understand the incredible gift that's been given to you so that you don't just cast it off and treat it cheaply. Chapter two, verse one, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, you were under the curse of the law and the curse rested heavily upon you in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. If you simply follow the natural leaning of your heart, you're an object of God's wrath. If you do not deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus, you are under wrath. You are under curses and the Lord will finally destroy you. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, verse five, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now you understand that's a present experience if you have not been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places, in your experience, it's because you've not yet matured to a place where you understand the incredible gift that's been given to you. And you're still treating it like play monopoly money. That's why Paul said, I'm praying for you. I'm interceding for you that you'll understand what the issues are that you'll see the value of the spiritual gifts that all of heaven has been emptied for you. Nothing has been held back from the Father's heart. He has given you everything, but he's given it to you in the spirit realm. You are more wealthy than any man or woman in this world. Your title deed gives you right to more property, to more money, to more health, to more of everything than any person under the curse could possibly accumulate in this world. You have title to it through Jesus Christ. You've been raised up, but it's all in the spirit realm. It's not in the physical realm. Until we begin to see this and understand this, we can be tricked by those who say, oh, hey, you're going to always be the head and not the tail. No, as soon as someone says that to you, they're old covenant people. They're not walking in the new covenant. They don't understand the new covenant. As soon as they begin to say, Oh, watch, God will bless you. And you're going to have so much money. Just come and plant your seed with me. Know that that person is operating under an old covenant. They don't understand the new covenant. They don't understand the spirit value of eternal things. And they're trying to Seduce you and prostitute you. But now I need to share with you how this actually works in practical ways. Some of you are saying, Pastor, tell me how it really works. I'm going to go to the words of Jesus in John, the 15th chapter. This is how it actually works. John, the 15th chapter, verse one I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me or abide in me and I will abide in you. You understand what I just said to you. The Lord is saying that he wants to abide in you and he wants you to abide in him. In other words, once we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, when we have become living sacrifices and we have died to our own way, we have transitioned into the wealth of the kingdom of God, spiritual wealth in the kingdom of God. And we now have our eyes fixed on heaven. That's where our heart is. Now he says, while you're there on the earth, abide in me. Let me abide in you. You know why we have so much difficulty in our experience with God? Is we're several days or weeks or months travel away from him. We don't have the abiding experience because we've been abiding in other things. We've been abiding in the physical realm. We've been abiding in our discouragement. We've been abiding in our fear. We've been abiding in our physical condition. We've been abiding in the circumstances, and the Lord God of heaven says, don't abide in that anymore. Come and abide in me, and I'll come and abide in you. We'll abide in each other. We'll remain in each other. Let me continue. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. Now, He's just breaking this down so simply. And he says it over and over because he wants us to get it. Please just take it at face value. He means what he says. I am the vine. Look, he says, Jan, I'm the vine. You're the branch. I'm the vine. You're the branch. Abide in me. Well, wait a minute. This is very problematic. I want to be the vine. I'm willing to have my roots in you, Jesus. But I'll be the vine, thank you very much. Now let's break it down. I'm gifted in producing oranges. My brother is gifted in producing apples. And each of us should produce according to our gifts. Wait a minute. If I'm not the vine, it's the vine who determines what's produced. If I'm not the vine, that means I don't produce oranges anymore. And if my brother is not the vine, he doesn't produce apples anymore. But you see, I was raised to believe that if I could not produce oranges and oranges in great quantity, I was not worth even talking with. I was of no value. If I didn't measure up to my expectation, after all, why did I go to college? And why did I spend those years in grad school? I did it so I could be successful. I sure didn't do it so I could come here. I did it so I could go do something great for God. I mean, God was calling me and I had an anointing on my life and I wanted to go do something great for God. And as I was preaching 23, 24 years of age to thousands of young people, man, I I was doing something great for God. They were taking in my every word. They wanted to copy the way I dressed. I mean, they were paying me money. Now I'm doing something for God. Yeah, right. I wasn't doing anything for God. I was doing something for me. My business was church. My brother's business is insulation. What's the difference? I have my store. He has his store. You don't like my store? Go down the street and find a store you like. you understand what I'm saying to you? When we come into the body of Christ, we don't produce what we want to produce anymore. We don't come here saying, I'm going to do something great for God. If you have in your heart that you want to do something great for God, you're too dangerous to even speak. You're very dangerous because you think you can do something for him. You know, I've had to come to this awful realization that God didn't call me to produce oranges. God didn't call me to produce souls. God didn't call me to produce Christians. God called me to produce the fruit of the Spirit. God called me to surrender my life to his pruning. Look around this church. You see a pruned church. I don't know how much more pruning God has to do in this church. He's done various prunings at various times. I used to be very upset about it. You just gain a few and then there they go. You need to visit them more. You need to do more. You need to get more people to visit them. You need to pray with them more. You got to do something to keep these people. No, today I praise God for the pruning. See, it's not about numbers and it's all about numbers. It's not about numbers that I create. It's about numbers the Holy Spirit creates. The Lord has promised me that if I will submit to the discipline of this pruning, in one day there will be thousands. And I will know that it was by the Spirit of the living God, and you will too. Not by human flesh, but by the Spirit. Does your heart hunger to hear from God? Does your heart hunger to see the glory of God? Then go ahead and move in with him, and you'll see his glory. Move out of those worldly places where you have settled in, where you have demanded that God come and visit you in your hovel. God's saying, move out of that hole, move out of that cave. That was the word that came today from somebody. Was it Brother Kurt, Brother Norman? Move out of that cave, move out of that cave. In other words, Elijah, as he's tucked back in the back of the cave, he hears the wind and he hears the fire. I mean, he's, he's tucked back there in the back of the cave and finally God had to just whisper to him. And then he finally got the courage to poke his head out. Some of you have not had the courage to poke your head out of your caves. I mean, you've got it all comfy in there. You've got your home and your television. You've got your favorite chair. You've got your work. You've got everything you like, and it's all tucked away in that cuddly little hidey hole. And God's saying, stick your head out of that hole. Stick your head out of that hole. See what God is doing. Move in with him. See, it's not what I produce. It's what the Holy Spirit produces. Now, please, please. Let me try to talk about this. It's so difficult because it's so simple, but it's so hard. Everything in my training has taught me that if it's going to be, it's up to me. I've been trained as that entrepreneur that if you're going to get ahead, you've got to go ahead, that if you're going to get out, you've got to step out. We're talking here about something totally different. We're talking about beginning to recognize The flowing sap of the vine is beginning to flow through my system, through my body, through my heart. And it's not me, it's God. And beginning to recognize that that hope that is springing up in my heart is not springing up because I've gone to psychotherapy. It's springing up in my heart because the Holy Spirit is flowing the sap of God into my life. In other words, beginning to understand that as I listen to the Holy Spirit and I step out of my hidey cave and I surrender and I get on that altar burnt offering and I sell out to follow Jesus Christ and to walk the walk of righteousness before God, as I step out and I leave that filth behind, the power of God will begin to pulsate and move through my life. Some of you come to this house of God today with dirty hands. Some of you would be ashamed if suddenly on your hands appeared everything that you have touched this week. Some of you today could not pray for a brother or sister and lay hands on them because you knew if you laid hands on them, you would cause them to be dirty because your hands have reached out and grabbed those things of the world this week. Your hands have touched unclean things this week. You know you've came to the house of the Lord today with your hands dirty and your heart dirty. You know you've not abided in Jesus Christ. You've not remained in Jesus Christ. And so you've experienced the, the cutting off of that flowing. In the Old Covenant, it was called the blessing. But in the New Testament, it's called the flowing of the Holy Ghost, the moving of the Holy Spirit as he begins to step into your life and flow through your heart. That flowing of the Holy Spirit becomes your life. It heals the sickness. It restores the brokenness. It changes the relationships. Watch verse five. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now I want you to see what just happened. We just had a transition from the spirit realm back to the physical realm. And Jesus is saying, if you will live over here with me in the spirit realm, if you will abide with me in the spirit realm, if you will let my Holy Spirit flow through your life in this spirit realm, you will then have the authority and the power to step back over here into the physical realm. And whatever you ask me, I will do. So over here in the physical realm, you need healing. He says, healing for all your diseases was made possible by the will of the Father through the atonement on the cross. You need money, then all of the money is made available that you need at the cross through the atonement. But you see, the difference is now I'm not needing money to build up my kingdom. I'm needing money now to accomplish the purposes that God has called me to that his spirit is flowing through me to accomplish. Some people have said to me, Pastor, I prayed, I've asked God to give me this, and he won't give it to me. And so we make up nice little stories. We say sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says maybe. That way you've got God covered. No matter what happens, God comes out okay, and you lose. That's a foolish ditty that is not found in scripture. God's answer is always yes. It's never no and it's never maybe. It's always yes in his will by the flowing of his spirit. You need to understand the no and the maybe always come when we're living outside of Jesus Christ and we're no longer abiding in him. We're no longer abiding in him. Do you understand? that the promise is yes and amen if we're living and abiding in Jesus Christ then all of the blessings of heaven are poured out for us there is nothing withheld from us <clears throat> whatever we ask for we know we have received some of you are saying pastor you're going to have to give me scripture on this okay first john fifth chapter i'll begin reading with verse 14 <clears throat> First John 5th chapter, begin reading with verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. We know, we have confidence, it's ours. So when we come to the prayer closet, we must be very certain whether we're standing over here in the physical flesh, asking God to make our life what we want it to be in the physical realm, or if we're over here in the spirit and we're saying, Lord God, all I desire is to produce your fruit. And now would you move? You tell me what you want and I'll ask you for it. The Lord has just given me a sum of money that I am to ask him for. I have asked him for it. I don't have any doubt in my mind. It will soon arrive. How do I know that? Because he told me to ask him for it. What the Holy Spirit tells me to ask for, the answer is always yes. It is never no. He is not a God who changes like the shifting of the skies. He is a God who is always the same today, tomorrow yesterday. He's the same. He's not a a wishy-washy God. We're the ones who change. We're the ones who shift. Now, please let me try again to just get at this issue, to try to be more clear about it. When I have my agenda going, and I have what I think I have to do to take care of my family when I have what I have to do to meet the expectations of those that I value, when I think that I must use God to accomplish my purposes, then I am going to be utterly frustrated. But if I am in the Spirit, I'm going to walk in that wonderful Galatians passage. I want to read it for you. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, that is self-sacrificing love, that is not consuming love, that is giving love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature With its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's what I'm saying. If you will abide in the Spirit, if you will keep in step with the Spirit, He will then tell you what to pray for. Your only concern is to produce the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You see, I wasn't called here to produce thousands of Christians to do something great for God. I was called here to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Are those fruits evident in your life? Jesus is the one who's blending us. He's the one who's pouring into us. Will you surrender to him today? Will you let him cut off what he needs to cut off? Will you let him wash you and make you clean by his blood? Will you let him bring you into the fullness of the spiritual inheritance in Christ Jesus? Oh, Lord, I've spoken what you gave me to speak, and now I just lay it down. I know it was the word you put on my heart and said I had to say, Lord, I confess today that this is not my church, it's your church. I confess today, Lord, that I can't convince my brothers and sisters. I can't blend them together. I can't solve the disagreement. I can't smooth over the rough places. I can't homogenize this church. Lord, I'm not going to try. Lord, I want you simply to produce your fruit in my life and in the life of this church. Lord, as the under shepherd of this church, I give it back to you today. It is yours. And only what is ordered by your Spirit will take place in this house. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. It's brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com.
0: God bless you. We love you.
3: Well, veil of tears At times I've even questioned Even if my Lord was near, Many times that old tempter Says why not turn around You can't get any farther You're just losing ground But I've not given up I'm turning round By the grace of God I'll win a shining crown Someday But I'll keep holding on To that hill scar mind to tell me there's been something bothering me why is it that the devil just won't let God's children be you see he has purposed and determined to get right in the way and turn us from the way of life Lead our souls astray, but you know something—I'm not giving up. No, I'm not turning round. By the grace of God. I'm